This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined once again by Mr. Christopher Harris of Harris Football. Chris, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Hey, thanks, man. It was fun to have you on my show uh, last during the draft season, and I'm very happy to come back here, too. Absolutely. So now late July, training camps open, Hall of Fame game uh, right around the corner, a night or two away, preseason, soon to kick off. So I figured it'd be a great time to kind of have you on, pick your brain a little bit about this most recent rookie class, kind of maybe what you expect from some of these guys in the short term, and then maybe some thoughts on long term and, you know, in terms of dynasty value, if there's a couple of guys that really pique your interest that you kind of want to get on uh, some rosters of yours in that format as well. So that would be fun to just talk about. So let's start right at the quarterback position. Let's get right into it. Kyler Murray, I can't remember a rookie quarterback prospect generating as much buzz and hoopla for his rookie season, the scheme, the coaching staff, all the narratives that I know you so much try to avoid. (laughs) They are at full effect with Kyler Murray. What do you think about Murray this year and long-term? Do you think he has that elite upside, you know, that people seem to think before he's ever played it down in the NFL? Um, I think so. I'll just say I don't really look at average draft position this time of year because I really want my opinion to be my opinion for as long as possible. So I really will stay away from ADP until like mid-August. I'm not even kidding. I, I just won't load the page that tells me. However, I have a guest on my show every single day, right? And uh, Jake Seeley came on last Friday, and we were talking about the teams of the NFC West and. He was like, well, you know, of course, Kyler Murray's inside my top 10. And I was like, I did a spit take on the podcast. Like, <laughs> what? I, I, that, see, I'm with you. I mean, I heard it in your voice. And I, I'm going to guess you like him a lot as a prospect because I know you a little bit. But I'm going to guess you, like I, think that that's wow. That's a big wow. I get, You know, I can see it working out. But I can see it going poorly so much easier because it's really hard to play that position, let alone having played at Oklahoma and having run really nothing like I mean, he'll have run something like Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, he knows Cliff Kingsbury, but you can't ju- – I mean, if th- I guess this comes down to complete belief that everything Cliff Kingsbury will dial up with four and five wide and tons of pre-snap motion and tons of read option automatically works and the NFL would just be like bamboozled. Here's my thing, Paul. If that were true, it feels like Chip Kelly would be coach of the year in the NFL, and it seems to me that – I haven't actually seen Chip Kelly manifest. I think I'm in Los Angeles right now. He's down the street at UCLA. Um, so I guess I, for this year, I'm really skeptical. Yeah, I mean, Murray is a prospect I, I'm a fan of. I, you know, for months here before even the draft, I thought, you know, when there was whispers of him potentially going the football route, you know, he reminded me a lot of a Russell Wilson type player. And then there just seems to be this swell of emotion. I do. I, I do. I don't make rankings for redraft like you do, and so right. many other people in the fantasy industry. I've done best ball leagues, and he does intrigue me as a guy who would be considered a starter because, especially in that format, I think those spike weeks could be really you know impactful weeks, especially with that running you know is the cheat code a little bit. But I always make sure I pair him up with like a very steady veteran, like a Philip Rivers or somebody like that. So like I'm hedging my bets a little bit there. 
but it does seem to be that this all the narratives are generating so much attention that I almost think it's going to be impossible for him to live up to the expectations that people are putting on him because it's you. It's rare that most rookie quarterbacks don't get a lot of expectations put on them. And then there's people thinking that this guy's going to be top five, top eight this year. And I guess if, if things break right and the defense really is as bad as it is, but there's a lot of crutch <laughs> arguments that got to fall into place. Yeah for that to happen and he's got to adapt to the game and you know cliff kingsbury was fired and and now he's coaching you know he's fired from a average college program you know now he's in the nfl and people just are assuming that his scheme and everything is going to work perfectly a lot of questions there so i'm right there with you in terms of the questions that are surrounding the coach the the offense and and just how quickly he could generate i understand the ceiling it's there but i i do think people aren't also potentially looking at what the floor could be. So in this player profile almanac that I'm, that I do every year that, you know, people can get at the website, Harrisville.com. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I watch film and write a profile on everyone. There's 240 profiles in there. And, and in addition to that, I give them all field film grades. I don't really give the rookies film grades. Cause I don't know, I'm, you know, when he's playing against Iowa state's defense, I don't know what that is. I, I, you know, I, I'm sure he's really great against, you know, the, I always call him the future gym teachers of America. You know, I don't really know uh, how good Kyler Murray is from his college tape, but I do give him, I give every, every player a range of ranks. And so I'll just say I have Murray for redraft 21 among quarterbacks. I just don't think he's a starting fantasy quarterback, even though I understand he might come into the league as the most dynamic running quarterback in the league. That's possible. Lamar Jackson's pretty good, but he, I mean, he could be that good, but it's a hard way to make a living. It's a hard, hard way to be Tyrod Taylor. You know, if you're Tyrod Taylor, boy, you shouldn't be going eighth, you know, or whatever it is. And so my ranks range for Kyler Murray is the biggest range that I gave any quarterback. I gave him a, he could be 10 on the upside. He could be 32 on the downside. I like, I, I think it's, you know, and, and let's just say in college, from what I could tell, like, he won't be afraid to throw into tight windows. Cause he did sometimes in college, but I think there are times where his footwork isn't good at a, as a passer at all, but he could sort of just rescue himself because a lot of times in Oklahoma, people are wide, wide open. And then also I'm not sure about the decision-making, you know, just like um, times where you're like throwing it to the guy you shouldn't throw it to. And, and that, that doesn't get easier in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, and there's obviously the, with him running as much as I'm sure he is going to take advantage of, you know, it also increases the injury factor. I know that's something that it's hard to really bring that into the conversation when people make ranks, but for running quarterbacks, I think it's at least a factor that's got to be considered, especially someone of his size and frame. Like, you know, he's rare, you know, in terms of what we're, what we're working with here. Yeah. Yeah, He ain't 200 pounds. We go on the show. We call them chicken strips. (laughs) <laughs> because to, to, to get to go to the combine he, to get up over 200 pounds he was like i'm gonna eat some chicken strips and then you know he didn't run or anything because he knew he was fat and then he went home and he lost a lot of weight and then he ran great yeah i mean so <laughs> I, i'm right there with you i do think his range of outcomes is probably as as big as any quarterback that i could remember in terms of before the season started in a fantasy football league uh so i think that's fascinating any of the other rookie quarterbacks obviously in terms of redraft value i don't see Not any really, yeah. any barely yeah. even worth discussing but right. in terms of a dynasty format do you look at either Dwayne Haskins Daniel Jones who obviously 
went a lot higher than most of the draft pundits and draft Twitter thought he was, but he's got that he's got a little bit of a running component to him that, you know, could make him pick up some points there in that capacity. Obviously drew lock down the line might get a chance. It, any of these guys intrigue you that in the, down the line, you could see any of these guys making it to like low end QB one status or, or better than that. I mean, I guess low end QB one could be very, you know, year to year that can fluctuate a lot. It doesn't, you know, there's such a wide, wide group of guys that can fall into that range. But does any of these guys get you excited down the line in like a dynasty format? I mean, Drew Locke definitely doesn't. I think Drew Locke's a flop waiting to happen. Uh, I just thought uh, he had the world. It reminds me of Jay Cutler. Just, I'm not the first one to say this. He's just a complete wild card. You don't, I don't think he knows where the ball's going. He's, he's a, you know, he's a wild man. But um, not not interested in Locke. The other two, you know, I don't know. I, I'm suspicious that Daniel Jones is is just literally just a guy and was elevated because of a GM's fetish for like you know watching somebody do drills a couple times and then getting you know, getting excited. But I can't say Daniel Jones is. I, I'm not sure about Daniel Jones. I have to say because of the competition level. Because so the one I'm most interested in is Dwayne Haskins. But I'll put it this way: like if you're doing a rookie dynasty draft right now, I don't think Haskins is a is goes in the first two rounds of a 12 team dynasty rookie draft. I think he's probably more like a third rounder and I probably take Jones in the third round too, which is not a ringing endorsement of their future potential as QB ones. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that is spot on in terms of where they'd be going. And I know I still have some rookie drafts that, that take place in August and the ones that are one quarterback, I think that's where they're going to go. And in the two quarterback ones, the narrative changes a little bit. So maybe they get pushed into the second round and Haskins with, with his lack of mobility and running, he's going to have to be a prolific passer, like high volume. And that, and that's something that it's going to be interesting to see if he ever gets there. Obviously things change so much from year to year, the weapons and stuff like that. And then Daniel Jones, I'm right there with you. Like I talked a lot about him and as someone who follows the Giants and, and cheers for them, uh, I wasn't on board with that pick because I, when I watched his college film and and everything about him, I kind of saw someone on that spectrum of Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton, best case scenario, Kirk Cousins. None of those guys really made me say, yeah, top six. I'm excited. Let's get this guy. You know, he's going to be the heir apparent for the next 10, 15 years. But that running component, if he has a little bit of that, could could maybe make him down the line have some viability, but I think more in that middling QB two, you know, eventually. So I don't think fantasy wise, any of these guys besides what we already talked about with Kyler Murray's upside is, is very, is a lot to talk about. So let's move right on and get, get off of them and get to the running backs. When you watch Josh Jacobs, do you get a vibe like you have gotten with some of the past early round running backs from the last couple of rookie classes? Is he someone that excites you in terms of his talent level? I mean, he doesn't excite me the way Saquon Barkley did last year or the way Zeke Elliott did or the way Todd Gurley did. And I mean, rightly so. We're talking about top five, top 10 picks compared to Josh Jacobs being more, you know, not, not quite at that level. Um, but yeah, I'm sort of a believer and I feel like it's maybe a little bit of a sucker bet um, because the people who knew him best, as we are well aware, it's Kenyon Drake syndrome at Alabama. You know, if you, if you don't wind up starting at Alabama, maybe that means something. They're pretty good evaluating talent. And if you're the, if you're the number three running back in the year you leave college, that's <laughs> maybe alarming. Um, and yet I just, so, so you know, Paul, the reason I have you on my show is because I don't spend all season during the season watching a ton of college football. Now, I saw more Alabama games than probably anybody at any other school, but it takes me until draft season to really start digging in. And yet Josh Jacobs was one of the rare college players during the season when I'm so crazy with my own stuff with the pro game 
uh, and I rely on someone like you to kind of fill me in, uh, Josh Jacobs was one of the guys who left an impression of like, wow, when he gets it, it looks different. You know, sort of has that a little bit. I don't want to say Alvin Kamara quite, but it has that kind of that crouched acceleration where it just looks like he gets there, like little vapor trails leaving his his feet maybe when he when he runs. My comparison in the almanac for him is like early career D'Angelo Williams. Yeah, I mean, which, I could... yeah, which which makes him not really a long speed guy. Although D Willie did sometimes make some long plays, but was much more of like a hard to get on the ground, very decisive, good acceleration, uh, like a really good but not superstar type of player. And I guess that's where I am coming in the, coming to the league on Jacobs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's a good comparison. I've often said that he seems to at times blend some of the attributes of Alvin Kamara. He's not Alvin Kamara in terms of the explosiveness, and then you know Alvin Kamara's former teammate Mark Ingram. Josh Jacobs runs really physical and tough. Like that's one of the things that really stood out. Like he's not a guy that, well, I don't think he's going to be a guy who touches the ball 20, 22 times a game. He's, he's physical for his stature and frame. So he said he kind of had some of that physicality and toughness of a Mark Ingram. He had some components of Alvin Kamara kind of like blended some of their, their attributes together. But I like the D'Angelo Williams comparison that you made. He obviously you know, has fallen into a situation where, you know, of course we're going to look at the depth charts a little bit and see what else is there. He's Mm -hmm. fallen into a situation where it seems like he's going to get quite the workload early on in his career. They invested a high draft capital, but going back to last year, maybe that doesn't mean as much anymore if if you invest the first round pick in a a running back. Oh, Uh, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, we are 100% ready after, after, you know, I wasn't buying on the the kids, the Rashad Pennies and the Royce Freemans last year at all. I was not buying buying that argument because I didn't like them as players. The reason I'm buying more on Jacobs is because I like him as a player, but we we have to be more willing to listen in in August. You know, if there's negativity that comes out of Raider camp about Jacobs, I'm going to lower him. Because, you know, if you can't stop yourself from being negative about the kid, you know, a la Ronald Jones, you know, the Buccaneers just couldn't stop saying bad things about Ronald Jones and having those things leak out all through August and sort of makes us go, oh, oh, okay. And and similarly, I have Jacobs inside my top 20 in standard right now for a redraft. And yet I will, he has downward, he doesn't have any upward mobility for me, but he has downward mobility because I don't want to get blinded by situation. I don't want to get blinded by depth chart. Doug Martin I'll put it this way. Doug, Doug Martin's a better player than Isaiah Crowell, the guy they were originally going to have him back up before he tore his Achilles. So, I mean, if, if worse came to worse and Jacobs just wasn't ready to be, you know, in, in true Ronald Jones style, wasn't ready to be the guy, uh, Martin could handle it because he handled it last year. Yeah, and Jalen Richard still sitting there as a possible guy who can siphon some receiving work out of the backfield as well. And I think some a lot of people have kind of just penciled Jacobs in for 50 to 60 catches, I don't know if that's a lock in year one either. And I'm a big Jacobs fan, but I, I, I do think there at times could be unrealistic, you know, expectations that he's immediately going to catch 50, 60 passes, rush for 1200 yards. I mean, all of a sudden that happens and we're talking about an elite, elite year. That doesn't always happen right out of the gate as we've saw, you know, with some other recent early round picks as well. So it, Real quick before we go to other running backs, would he be your consensus 1.01 pick in rookie drafts if people are still having rookie drafts? Every single one, even two quarterback leagues. I take him over Murray. Yeah, he's the one. Got it. So the next guy seemed to be talked about a lot together. Miles Sanders with the Eagles, David Montgomery with Chicago. Some people are pro Sanders. Other people are pro Montgomery. 
What's your kind of take on these guys? It seems to be the consensus. People think Montgomery is going to be the guy that has the more immediate impact, but a lot of people seem to maybe think Sanders has the long-term outlook. Do you kind of feel similarly or a little bit different takes? I'm just not, I'm just, I try so hard not to get brainwashed by what I think of the depth chart this year, because it's just, we talk, it's the echo chamber. We talk ourselves around and around. Well, I mean, Jordan Howard's there. So how could Miles Sanders? Okay. You know, but Mike Davis is there. If Dave Montgomery isn't ready to go for some reason, Mike Davis will play. Like it, it could change over the course of the year. We could see a lot of Mike Davis in September and then none in December. If Montgomery proves himself trustworthy, et cetera, et cetera. Especially when when we don't we have never seen these players play in the NFL, and we're relying on our evaluation of them in a in a imperfect way because one of them is playing in the Big Ten and one of them's not, and one of them's playing for you know the wide 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 open world of the Big Twelve and one of them's not. Uh, I think it's better just to try to determine what we think of them as players. Uh, I, I'd say I give as a player, I think I give Montgomery a little bit steadier. I think I give him a little bit of a nod over Sanders, the worry being, well, maybe he really is just Jordan Howard. You know, maybe he's just kind of the bull, the 220, 20, whatever, whatever pound bull. I think I see more than that. My comp for him is Ryan Matthews, hopefully with like functional collarbones. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I, I'm, on, I'm on the optimistic side. I thought I saw, I mean, he's, he has a way of stringing together moves, like a way of, uh, He's not going to make a ton of great moves, but like he can, I guess maybe it's vision more than lateral quickness. Whereas Miles Sanders, my comp for him is Tevin Coleman, and it, that's kind of an insult. Um, but what I'm trying to capture in that is that kind of this uh, very fast, clearly, you know, he's fast, 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 potential big play guy. Um, first of all, don't fumble so much, Miles Sanders. And then, because especially in Philly with a lot of other options, platoony, you know, world potentially that won't fly, but also like, uh, is there, is there physicality with Miles Sanders? I wonder what you think. You, you probably know these guys better than I do. My, my feeling on watching Sanders was always trying to hit a home run. Um, very explosiveness for 200 and very explosive for 211 pounds, but, but like kind of fell down when you touched him. Yeah, I mean, Sanders is a guy who I think at times probably tried to mimic the former teammate there, Penn State, Saquon Barkley. And I think some of that behind the backfield, he just couldn't do the things. And I think at times that got him into trouble, his decision-making. But he did have that big play potential. I think I can understand the comp to a Tevin Coleman, especially in a physical uh, attribute category that that he can, if he gets a, a lane and hits it hard, he can make a big play out of it. He's got that athleticism way more than a David Montgomery but Montgomery is probably a much more steady runner in terms of keep the chains moving, the contact balance to you know embrace contact, pick up yards after contact. So I think that is something that Sanders showed glimpses of physicality. I think when I when I watched him at Penn State, but I definitely that's not his calling card. Like that's not going to be a thing that you know people watch Miles Sanders and and think of him in that capacity. I do think they'll think that way about David Montgomery. I think that's yeah. more more his yeah. main attribute that people are going to say, yeah, he's really physical, really tough. He picks up yards after contact pretty regularly. I, I think it's going to be fascinating with those two because I think those two are, are right at the top of rookie drafts after Josh Jacobs, maybe throw a wide receiver in there. But you know, most of those guys are coming off the board in the top five. Most in redraft, it seems Montgomery is probably a fourth, fifth rounder. You know, Sanders obviously a little bit later uh, right now, but I, I do think all it takes is one or two runs in preseason, and you know how people overreact. So, <laughs> so Miles Sanders probably will cut that, uh, cut that 
uh, gap in uh, before, you know, the drafts late in August wouldn't surprise me. But I think these, you know, I think either of these guys in a normal year wouldn't be top five rookie picks. I just, I don't think they have the talent. I just think it's an overall very down class. And I think that's, you know, we're trying to get excited or I know at times I try to get excited about some of these guys, you know, for my dynasty rookie drafts. And there's not a lot to be excited for. I agree. I mean, I have, if we're not talking to QB, I even think in PPR, I would have, Jacobs one, Montgomery two, Sanders three, because I really don't like the wide receiver class. At least, at least I can see my way to liking those running backs okay and seeing that like Montgomery and Sanders strike me as players who never will be the ones driving the bus behind the reason why an offense is good. But if the offense is good, they're good enough to partake. Do you know what I mean? Like get a pretty good workload and give you a really good season and then fool everybody into thinking they're great, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah. then we have then we have the other conversation. But whereas the wide receivers, you know, I'm uh, We'll get to him, but yeah. What? So you don't want you don't want any of these guys to be Jeremy Hill. You don't want to have to. You don't want to fight that fight next summer, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeremy Hill. I mean, go down Jordan Howard. We're good on the list. Yeah, all, all it takes Blake Bortles. All it takes is stats, baby. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Darrell Henderson. This conversation could go a bazillion different ways, but we really don't know anything about Todd Gurley. Nothing has really came out one way. We know he's we know he's alive. We know he's we know he's on the roster. But Darrell Henderson is is he a guy that without Gurley taking a a significant step back is just a, a high priced handcuff, or do you see a way that Henderson could provide value without? Gurley's workload dramatically and I mean maybe being you know if Gurley's getting 60 to 70 percent of the workload is there a path for Henderson to still be fantasy viable in this year or even in the next year or two after this if Gurley's still on the roster um I think yes my answer is yes because I like the player um but but yes, in the way that it's like, maybe he's your flex, but I bet you some weeks you're going to be ticked. You know, <laughs> some weeks you're going to wish you had LaShawn McCoy or Deion Lewis or something, you know, in that in that sort of way. In that like deep, deep running back three, you know, early running back four kind of way, which in the end, you know, m- me putting uh, cardinal numbers next to these names as though the order really matters. Once you get outside your top 30 running backs, it's gross, right? You don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. It takes an injury mostly. But yes, I, I mean, I, I have Henderson in a redraft 34 and a little higher than that in PPR um, because I do think he's good. I think he's, you know, he's just a big play. He's a monster. I've never, you know, you've, you've probably seen way more running backs in college than I ever have, but I don't remember seeing a running back run as fast as Daryl Henderson runs before he ever gets the ball. Like just to get the handoff, the two steps that it takes, he's, he's, He's mean. He's like, he wants to go real fast right away. Um, I'm not sure he's super laterally quick, but he sure has north-south explosive. Like, man, so so many player defenders, I mean, it's Memphis, but so many defenders seem like they took bad angles and or just like whiffed trying to get to the place where they thought he would be. My comparison for him is Dalvin Cook. Um, maybe not, maybe a less good version of Dalvin Cook, but He's real fast. And, you know, if if Gurley's hurt, we're having a completely different conversation. But the way I hope the Rams keep Gurley right, and I'm, you probably listen to my show and know that I'm like absurdly high compared to the market on Gurley. I have four in a redraft league in standard. Um, Because my hope is, like you said, give him 70% of his workload. Give give Henderson 30%. If that's the case, you know, I don't know where Malcolm Brown fits in, but if Henderson is getting 30% in that Rams offense, 
and is a good player himself strikes me as having some value. Yeah, and you know, we saw last year the McAvey offense and the motion and stuff they did. I mean, look at some of the rushing lanes that CJ Anderson took advantage of. Right. And you take out CJ Anderson and you put put in Henderson and that you know, let's call it that. I mean, I know you, at times you give different ratings. His burst and acceleration is, is going to be near the top of any rating scale when you watch Darrell Henderson. You know, it, it just is. Now, yeah, I, I agree with you. The the lateral stuff, I don't think is. I don't think he's a guy who's going to cut on the dime or cutting ability like a LaShawn McCoy or anything like that. But that explosion, that acceleration, that burst in that offense with the lanes. Now, listen, things change from year to year. I know you know you always talk about that, and you're right. The O line might be different, but if those lanes that have been opened over the last couple of years in that Rams offense are still there. Henderson hitting those lanes is going to produce big plays and it's not going to take, you know, 15 touches to potentially make an impact at times. It could be eight touches, 10 touches I'm with you. and yeah. it can make an impact. So yeah. real quick, two last two running backs. I want to, I want to at least touch uh, base with you on one is Damian Harris. Obviously I know you follow the Patriots closely. What's your take on him? Because it seems like there's a lot of momentum building for Damian Harris and a lot of people really concerned about Sony Michelle. And then also just want to ask you about Justice Hill. But let's start with Damian Harris first. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's the echo. It's a lot of people listening to each other talk. Nobody knows. Like, this is a buy opportunity on Sony Michelle, as far as I'm concerned, because we don't know any better. I mean, you have to be willing to take on risk on the with the girlies and the Michelles and the and the Zeke Elliott's and the Melvin Gordon's and the Michael Thomas's that people haven't reported, you know, you have to be willing to take on risk, but that's where market inefficiencies are because everybody is listening to everybody else talk about what they know about Sony Michelle's knee on July 30th. <laughs> okay, great. In, in my mind, Damien Harris is Peyton Barber. So I'm sorry if that doesn't thrill me, you know, like it just doesn't, I can't get excited about Damien Harris. It just, he's fine. You know, I'm, I don't think he's a star. He's patient. He can, he can bounce outside. Okay. But so can Peyton Barber. Like in the end, I think he's a, a two-down plotter, a worse version of Jordan Howard. I'm not that interested. Yeah, he's he's solid at just about everything, but nothing nothing great. No elite, yeah. no elite calling card, no elite traits. And I thought that was kind of his call it mark at Alabama too. And eventually, Josh Jacobs kind of pushed him a little bit off to the side there. While we're on the topic of Sony Michelle, do you see a scenario, or you just think the Patriots are so set in their specialized roles? Do we anticipate? You know, Sonny Michelle had a reputation of being a pretty good pass catcher coming out of college. And most people, I think, thought when the Patriots invested such a high pick on him that maybe they'd break away a little bit from their specialized roles from following the Patriots as much as you do. And do, do you think that's you, do you think there's more for Sonny Michelle to potentially uh, make a more of an impact in not just the running game, but the passing game? Or do you think the Patriots probably are going to stay true to their, their usual way, especially with James White, such a good receiving back? I don't know. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'll answer the question, but the real answer is we shouldn't worry about that. That isn't our job. You know, like we, it, they've certainly in the past changed things up from year to year, and they've certainly – the football season is su- such a statistically insignificant 16 set p- pieces of data – and then it feels because it takes a year. It feels like it just that's what the Patriots have always done. But I mean, like Eric Blunt had huge workloads three, two, three years ago, three years ago, right? So they, I mean, they they clearly changed their ways. Um, I'm with you. I thought Michelle was a way more dynamic player in college, and so I have assumed to this point that that's about the knee that they kind of figured out what he could do, and maybe about pass protection too. But but somewhat about the knee, like they figured out what he could do. 
he also, and I thought he was pretty laterally quick in college. He wasn't at all last year. He looked like Stephen Ridley. Um, but if he ever got right, maybe he'd be better. I, I guess I'm, he, you know, I, I'm not considering him likely. Like I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm not putting him like way higher in PPR than I would in standard because I'm secretly, I'm like, ah, he's going to eat in the James White catches. I'm, I'm just kind of saying he's pretty good. I would have, I would rather have him than, than James White in a standard league. And I'd probably rather have James White in a PPR. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes complete sense. And last running back I want to talk about, Justice Hill of the Ravens. He seems to be a guy, I'm pretty high on Mark Ingram. I know you're a fan of him as well. I think in, I don't, while I don't anticipate them running as much as they did down the stretch last year, I still think that is going to be, you know, what they, still going to be a very run heavy offense. I've been on record as saying, I think Justice Hill could still have a, could have, could, develop into having a role this year and have impactful weeks i've gone on a limb and said if there is a philip Lindsay type player this year who kind of works his way onto the field and they just want to keep giving him touches at times i think justice hill's that guy in that offense because his he's got bursts he's got explosion what do you think about justice hill a little bit maybe the player and could he also have a, a role there even if you see success for mark ingram he could. Some, I think someone else will. Uh, the question is, is it Gus Edwards? It's like there are polar opposites, right? Mark Ingram's kind of in the middle, and then because he can kind of do everything pretty well, he's probably better power back than than a speed back for sure. But he can catch it a little bit. Um, and then you've got Gus Edwards, the, the who is Damian Harris, who is Jordan Howard, who is just is that honest, like wants to run into people kind of thing. And there's Justin Hill, who is super fast, and you know. Coming out of the Big 12, maybe it's an unfair knock, but I, I think you're going to have, and especially Oklahoma State's offense, you're going to have questions that he's ever passed protected in his life or at least done it very well. Um, you know, I think, I think he fits the mode of a player who is so laterally quick, is such a jumping bean that it's almost his default move. And that can frustrate NFL coaches. And I would, like, it, it does seem like August is going to be really important for him. If, if all we're getting is positivity and playing time in the exhibition season and just sort of the, the typical coach speak that we like him, we like him, we like him, good. You know, what I don't want to hear is that guy needs to learn to run straightforward. Got to go, got to go hit it, you know, because I think I thought, it, you know, maybe the reason why the, I mean, he was hurt last year too, but the reason why he wasn't as good the last year at Oklahoma State was like, he kind of had one thing he, he could, he would dance. And if the dancing didn't work, he didn't really have a plan. Um, but I think your point is well made about the Ravens. There should be plenty of work for someone else. I like a Mark Ingram a lot this year, but there should be room for someone else too. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting backfield to kind of follow and see if we hear anything to potentially make us feel one way or another about who might perform after Mark Ingram in that. Yeah. Let's go to the pass yeah. catchers, and we'll go through quicker because it's not really – when I came on your show, there was confusion in these wide receivers. There's still confusion <laughs> in these wide receivers. <laughs> None of it makes sense. But before I even ask you the wide receivers, I want one tight end question. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, any expectations for them in year one? The tight end position after this top six or so really kind of flattens out. Who knows? Is and if not this year, is there one of them you prefer more long term? Probably not this year. It's such a mess of a position, and it's so unlikely for rookies to contribute. There's a thing in the almanac, a little research project I did about the most recent tight ends to contribute as as rookies, and it's like Gronk, Aaron Hernandez, and I don't know. <laughs> not, not, it's not very good. So I'm not counting on him for for redraft. Um, 
for me, they're because the rest of the positions have so much yuck to them. I've, Hawkinson a, a few spots ahead of Fant in a rookie draft, but they're both first round picks to me. I think Hawkinson has the potential. I mean, you know, everybody who listens to your show knows what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything revolutionary. Like Fant reminds me of all the unpolished gems, all the freaky athletes, the David Njoku's and Evan Ingram's who come into the league, and everybody goes, "Well, yeah, they haven't been good football players yet, but wow, look at them run and jump." And Hawkinson probably doesn't run and jump quite that well, but he's the one who strikes you as being like, wow, he's, he could be really great. I don't even need that much improvement in the football skills. Um, he probably needs to get stronger. But, uh, so, I, so I prefer Hawkinson, and Fant is a little, more, little bit more of a wild card. I think they're both rookie draft first-rounders. Yeah, I'm right there with you in terms of Hawkinson a few spots higher. Fant, the rawness makes him intriguing, but I think there's some rat running refinement that got to be there. And I know you are a huge Hunter Henry fan. My comp for Hawkinson has been a little bit more athletic version of TJ Hawkinson. So we'll see if he can live up to that uh, as my uh, projection for Hawkinson. I I think that he could have a Hunter Henry uh, type role eventually as he gets acclimated. My comp in the Almanac is young Jason Witten. So I'm, I'm like, I'm foaming at the mouth more, I guess, because Jason <laughs> yeah. Witten was, I mean, we all remember Jason Witten with the knees with broken glass in them, you know, like he, he used to be pretty, he was never all that fast. He's a pretty damn good player. Absolutely. So let's take this to the wide receivers. And I know when I came on your show, we talked about Nikhil Harry and we both were, eh, he's okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I think he was number yeah. five or six for me. I had some separation quickness and you know concerns of how his game was going to translate to the NFL and then the Patriots go take him in the first round and now he seems to be the consensus first wide receiver and rookie drafts he is for me I don't feel good about it I probably would pivot to a different position uh you know honestly or trade the pick Nikhil Harry with the Patriots do you feel any differently about Nikhil Harry than when we talked on your show a couple months ago about him as a player and his being able to acclimate to the NFL? I mean, you can't look at the look, look at the opportunity of playing with Tom Brady and just say, "Well, that means nothing," right? I can't be that stubborn. Um, I don't like him this year. I, you know, and I, it's funny. It feels to me like there was this really big momentum towards him, and maybe now people just living and dying with every pass and like padless minicamp and stuff, and they hear, "Oh, he was running with the twos. I can't draft him anymore." Maybe, maybe that's like kind of calming things down, as it were. But um, I think he's okay. I, I, I think I pretty much feel the same way about him. I mean, the argument for is all is going to be about, "Ooh, it's Brady. There's no Gronk. Who other other receivers? Josh Gordon suspended. You know the." I can make the argument that goes, how about these names to make you throw up in your mouth a little bit, Paul? Chad Jackson, Brandon Tate, Taylor Price, Aaron Dobson, Malcolm Mitchell. Who are we to think the Patriots are good at drafting receivers? Those were all second or third round picks. I don't know if any of them were first, but uh, yeah, like you come into the league with really good ball skills, but I don't know, not really a chance to separate. You know, I'm okay. Like, I think he's pretty good. He's, doesn't really run great. We're going to talk about DK Metcalf in a second. You tell me. Like Metcalf gets just hazed and ragged on by people for running bad routes. Did you see Nikhil Harry run good routes in college? Because I didn't. I saw him kind of just outmuscle people. Yeah, he bullyballed people, and I, I've said yeah. it a lot. And like you probably even have seen him closer than I have. 
when has Tom Brady ever been the quarterback to really kind of just throw balls up 50-50 besides maybe Gronk and Randy Moss to the all-time great at their position? Like, has that really ever been a strong suit of Tom Brady where he just kind of, you know, that's not when I watch Tom Brady, I don't really feel like he's the type of quarterback that just says, yeah, I'm going to throw it up 50, 50 shot. Let my guy go win it. He's the only time that I ever remember that was two of the all time greats. So is he really going to all of a sudden do that with a rookie at the back end of his careers, you know, quarterbacking? I don't, I don't know if I see that. So then it's yeah. like, okay, well, what are they going to do? Is he just going to be a red zone specialist? Is Are they going to use him? You know, at times Arizona State used him as like a big slot, but th- I don't see that happening early on. But it, it's going to be interesting how he's utilized and how quickly he's a, par- a, a bigger part of their offense, I think, it's fascinating because he's going really a lot higher in best ball leagues and redraft leagues. And I don't even consider him when he's like the next guy in the queue. Uh, mm-hmm. I just go right by him every time. And, and maybe I'm going to be kicking myself, but I, I don't see a big year one. And I don't even know if I see like a monster ceiling in the future, but maybe I'm still missing something on him and he's going to prove me wrong. But I don't see, you know, you were talking about DK Metcalf and we can just go to him next. I don't, I don't see the rat running in Nikhil Harry that makes me think he's all that different. I just see him as less athletic than DK Metcalf. So yeah, I have, I have them side by side in redraft. And I actually have Metcalf one spot higher, but neither in my top 40 receivers for redraft. It's a crummy rookie skill position class, and so they're both probably first fantasy first-rounders. They certainly are on PPR. I would take Kyler Murray before I take either one of them. There's no question about that, um, in a, even in a one-quarterback league. Yeah, I, I'm just not blown away by this receiver class. Metcalf, I'm on the pro-Metcalf side. Draft day, I was stunned. Like, seeing seeing A.J. Brown go ahead of him, see, you know, his teammates, seeing – whatever it was, eight receivers go, Andy Isabella go one spot before him, stunned, floored. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember being on your show and I said, is DK Metcalf a souped up version of Ted Ginn? I don't know. And, you know, he, and then he starts falling on draft day and I wasn't expecting that. No, I, I was a big AJ Brown fan. He was my number one wide receiver, but I thought DK Metcalf was going ahead of him. Like I wasn't a fool to not listen to a little bit of what was, what was out there and the athletic testing. So it's going to be interesting to see Metcalf there. I do think, you know, Russell Wilson throws a great deep ball. He improvises with about probably as good as any quarterback in the, in the league and buying time. So, and I do think Russell Wilson's a guy who'll kind of throw it up there and let his receivers make a play. We've seen that in the past. So I think DK Metcalf probably is going to have a decent opportunity for his skill set to make an impact. So I actually, for, for redraft leagues, I think, and I'm not a, I wasn't a huge Metcalf guy. I think he was number four before the draft. Uh, I think Metcalf probably is the guy that I would be most intrigued with in redraft leagues just because of the opportunity and his skill set, I think, could produce some interesting uh, games, but not a guy that I'd want to be a starter or even a flex, probably like my fifth wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so the whole thing about, oh, he's so slow. I mean, I mean, slow, slow, fast, but slow out of breaks. Um, when has Josh Gordon been fast out of breaks? When is Josh Gordon... You know, I can I can point to a list of big fast receivers who never really even learned how Josh Gordon has Josh Gordon runs the slant. All he ran last year with the Patriots is a slant. That's all he ran. A slant and occasional cross. And then he ran posts or uh 
I guess I should say post, not slant. I mean, they're kind of the same thing, but, you know, a deeper post kind of thing. But, like, he ran go routes. I don't – they didn't throw that many go routes to him last year. I'm not sure Josh Gordon was as fast as he used to be. Um, like, can't, can't DK Metcalf make an okay living in the NFL in general running the nine, the post, an occasional wide receiver screen where you have some dude 50 pounds lighter than trying to tackle him. Like, haven't there been plenty of physical freak receivers? Fine. He's not Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson came into the league being able to cut on a dime freak, ridiculous hall of famer. But I don't think you have to be Calvin Johnson. If you've got this level of athletic ability to be pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I do think Metcalf is, is going to make an impact early on. Uh, he's a guy that definitely, I think the, where he ended up got me a little bit more excited about him than maybe I even was pre-draft. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch that. Anybody else in redraft even remotely intrigue you this year? Marquise Brown, obviously the speed. Sounds like he's going to start practicing soon or, or be ready. So maybe the injury is not going to be an issue by the time the start of regular season rolls around. Him, Paris Campbell, and that Colts high-octane offense. Debo Samuel, maybe another starter in San Francisco. Anybody else in redraft format get you excited, or is it all just down the line dynasty type guys? Yeah, I mean, excite. I have Marquise Brown fiftieth among receivers in redraft, and at that level, should he be drafted? Yep, right. You should draft him. Somebody should own him in every league. But excited is a hard word to you know. I don't want to feign a lot of, you know, thrilled, <laughs> thrilled excitement. Uh, tough to be a kid with a broken foot coming into your first training camp on a run-heavy team. And I don't love to talk about situation, but I feel pretty confident saying the Ravens are fairly run-heavy. It might be one of the only, like two or three teams in the league I feel confident saying that about. Um, and, and you know, having to kind of make your way as a as a 166-pound player in the NFL. Like, I, I love him dynasty-wise. I, I think – Eventually he'll be good because eventually, you know, hopefully we got a quarterback who's functional at throwing the ball. I think he's a first rounder for, for rookie draft in dynasty, but number 50 is not all that. I mean, the, the, the so he'd be the next in a redraft league and everybody else below him, then Debo Samuel and everybody you're, you're mentioning would be below that. Um, I think the biggest difference I have in redraft versus dynasty would be Paris Campbell because at Ohio state, I wish maybe I, while I'm ta- while I'm running my yammer, I'll try to look up the number. Uh, it was seventy four of his one hundred and nine targets traveled five yards or fewer in the air last year at Ohio State. So he's not running routes. He's just like they're just flipping it out to him, and he's and he I think he was second in the nation in average yards after the catch because he's great, right? So I don't think he comes into the league knowing how to get open in the NFL. So it's probably a rough first year. It's probably a pretty big learning curve. But there's nothing in his athletic profile that says to me he couldn't eventually learn how to run routes. Um, so it's, if there's a kind of a dissonance, if there's a difference between what I think of somebody for this year and what I think he could be, he could be Odell Beckham in the future. You know, he's got that level of quickness. We've said that about a lot of guys. You, there have been a lot of guys who've been, you know, pr- pretty well. I mean, John Ross, we said that about John. I, it, you can come in the league and be fast and never learn how to do it. But I give Paris Campbell a pretty good chance. So I, I would elevate him above the likes of Debo Samuel, probably closer to Marquise Brown in a dynasty league. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Campbell is a 
future bet more than a this year. He might have a couple splash plays here or there, but it'd probably be very much in the facet of what you were just talking about after the catch, you know, get him in open space. You know, he might have more tactical value on Sundays than fantasy value when he's utilized this year uh, until he really learned the nuances of the position. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think we're going to look down the line in years. There'll be a couple guys that'll probably outperform, but this wide receiver class, I don't think we're going to look down the line in a few years and and see wide receiver one, wide receiver twos. I I I I would be very surprised with this wide receiver class. I think you'll have a couple guys that maybe can become wide receiver twos, but I think you're looking at a lot of wide receiver in that mix that you always talk about of fifty wide receiver threes. Some of these guys, <laughs> some of these guys will get into that mix and then just be fours and fives and and guys that'll be drafted, but not guys that you really get excited about putting in your starting lineup uh, week to week. I just think it's you know, I'll give you a little sneak peek. I think next year when I have you on the show, or if I'm lucky enough to come back on your show, yeah. next year is going to be a lot different. I just finished. Yeah. I just finished when you were working on the almanac over to however many months. I just watched 85 college guys and row profiles for the upcoming season, and next year's wide receiver class lot more exciting than this past wide receiver class. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot of time to talk about them in the future, but hopefully next year lives up to the hype. But Chris, thank you so much. This was an absolute uh, blast to have you back here at Saturday to Sunday. Please, I'm sure most of my audience is following you, but please let them know uh, your Twitter handle. Obviously, the podcast is back now five days a week. Uh, pump up a little bit the almanac and just uh, share anything else you want to share. You just did it. You just did it. <laughs> At Harris Football. Uh, if, you, if you go to harrisfootball.com, everything's there. Uh, you can find the podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, yeah, and get that almanac. Uh, we're recording this on July 30th, but as of August 1st, like everybody, to this point, everybody's been pre-ordering, but on August 1st, I deliver the first edition. It's a PDF. It's 200-plus pages, but actually you're not done because twice in August, once in the middle of the month and once at the end of the month, I will – right i will track changes as it were and i will send you a new pdf with new draft orders and with all the stuff that changed in my opinion or in injuries or whatever and you'll see what got crossed out and what got added and kind of thing so you'll so hopefully you'll have the freshest information when you draft but yeah i'm trying to trying to get people to know about the almanac and uh hopefully folks will listen to the show Guys, if you're not following Chris, make sure you're following Chris. Make sure you're listening to the podcast. Get the Almanac. I promise you, you will enjoy his show. You will laugh. But most importantly, (laughs) you will get a lot of football content. It is at the top of my list. I have told Chris this. I have told people. I have tweeted this. You know, there are so many great podcasts out there. You should be listening to Harris Football near the top of the list. Must listen to every single episode. I think there's a tremendous amount of insight, and it will be different than all of the other podcasts in terms of the type of content that is provided uh, with all the Because I'm a jerk. Because what Paul won't say is because on my show, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I just talk bad about everybody. No, I just I just talk about the farts and whistles a lot. He, he puts in the time and watches these guys. And if you can't be in front of your TV on Sunday or sit down and watch every single game on Game Rewind, Chris is doing it for you. And it is a tremendous, uh, valuable resource uh, throughout the season as well. So, guys, make sure you're listening and checking out all his great stuff. So on behalf of our guest, Christopher Harris, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.